Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This week is Parshas Mitzvah, and it's also Shabbos HaGadol. And although I originally thought I would be speaking about the halachas of Pesach, the Seder, um, I decided instead to speak about the halachas of Chalmite. I rarely get to speak about that, and we have a lot of days of Chalmite this year. So I figured I would talk about that. So I also wanted to say before I begin that the Shabbos Hagadol Drasha, the second half of it, the Hashkafa part, I will also be saying on a conference call, Mute Hashem, Sunday evening at 8.45 at this number, and it will also hopefully be recorded and be available as a, uh, as a podcast. And in addition, the Monday night Haggadah share will also be recorded and hopefully be available as a podcast. So on to Halachas of Chalamayit. So let's talk about laundry. Chazal prohibited doing laundry on Chalamayit. The reason for this was not because you're not supposed to do work on Chalamayit, because this kind of work you technically would be allowed to do, but the reason why they prohibited doing laundry on Chalamayit was because they wanted that everybody should do their laundry before Yantav. They should have clean clothing for Yantav. And the, the war, they were worried that if you were permitted to do laundry on Chalamayit, people would just leave it to Chalamayit because they're not working anyway, so they have free time. So they would leave their laundry to Chalamayit and they would not wash it before Yantav. They wouldn't have clean clothing for Yantav. And therefore, they prohibited doing um, laundry on Chalamayit. Now, even if your clothing was cleaned before Yantav, and then it got dirty on Yantav, so you'd think, hey, I mean, I tried to clean it in advance, and it got dirty. Why can't I clean it at Chalamite? But the answer is that Chazal, once they made it prohibited, once they prohibited it, they, they made it across the board, as they always do. And therefore, they just prohibited laundry no matter what, even if your clothing got dirty on Yantav. Being that it's Asr, not only are you, uh, a Jew, not allowed to do laundry, a non-Jew is not allowed to do it for you as well. Children's clothing may be laundered, although one should try to make sure that they have sufficient clothing to last them through Yantiv if it's possible, but as they frequently soil their clothes, Chazal did not extend the Isra to them. And now, it's not clear up to what age this applies. The custom is to be lenient to about 12 years old. Now, even though you are doing a load for your children, which is permitted, you still are not allowed to add an adult's clothing to the machine. You can only do laundry for your children. All adult clothing is included in this prohibition. Therefore, everybody should see to it now. We have a little time now before Yantiv. Make sure that we have enough clothing for the whole Yantiv, meaning both outerwear and underwear, socks, everything. Make sure that you have enough. If we should run out of clothing on Yantiv, the only recourse is to buy new on Chalmayid rather than to wash. Now, if buying new is prohibitively expensive or simply not available, so then we have to ask Ashila and we'll discuss the situation. There are three exceptions to this above rule. One is that underwear, which is associated with nursing mothers, may be washed as they continuously get soiled and considered like children's clothing. Two, if a woman is a nida and doesn't have sufficient white undergarments, they can be washed for shivanakim. And three, Stockings can be washed, as they only really require soaking in water, so therefore they're, they're permitted to be washed. Stockings can be washed, but that's it. No other underwear can be washed. If someone has only one suit, a man, or, or one dress, or all their suits and dresses have become stained and unwearable through yantiv, it is permitted to wash one or dry clean one lakavid yantiv, but that's it. Spot cleaning is permitted, 
So if there's a sponge, you can scratch it off and wash it off on chalamite. Can't do it on yantar, but you can do it on chalamite. In addition, if something got stained and will get ruined unless you soak it, it's permitted to soak it. And if it will get ruined unless you launder it or dry clean it, then that's also permitted because that's a dabra avid you stand to lose because of the the clothing will get ruined. Then there's a, then there's permission to clean it. Drying clothing alone is permitted. In other words, you can throw clothing in the dryer or halamite, that you could do. And ironing is permitted, unless it's something which requires special skill, like making pleats, that you can't do a halamite. But typical ironing, just to get out creases, is allowed. Washing tablecloths, linens, towels are also included in this sister. However, if someone had a huge amount of company on the first day and simply ran out of towels and linen, a new company is coming for the second day, can be lenient to wash towels and linen for that purpose, but barring an unusual circumstance here too, we need to make sure that we have enough to last us or buy more. Polishing shoes and brushing hats is something that's permitted on Cholomite. Okay, so that's, that's the story with laundry. Now let's move on to cutting hair and nails. Cutting hair is prohibited on Cholomite, and it's prohibited for the same reason as laundry because Chazal wanted to ensure that everybody gets their hair cut, so they're prohibited doing it on Chalamite. Even if someone shaves daily, a man, I mean, if he shaves daily, it's still prohibited on Chalamite. Even a non-Jewish barber is a problem. But this iser applies solely to hair on the head or a beard, but all body hair may be trimmed or shaved, and eyebrows may be tweezed as well. Washing and combing hair is permitted, although it pulls out hair. Children are permitted to get a haircut, but not just because we want them to get a haircut. We can only give children a haircut if their hair is bothering them for whatever reason. Then you can give a child a haircut. If someone gets lice or there's some other medical need, then also the hair may be cut in order to treat it. Nail cutting is more lenient than hair cutting. And by nails, it depends as follows. If you cut your nails arrogantive, or, you know, the day before Erev Yantiv, you know, if you cut your nails with Kavit Yantiv, then you may cut them again on Chalamite. If you didn't cut them on Erev Yantiv, then you may not cut them on Chalamite, because then we look at it like you left it for Chalamite. But if you wanted to cut them Erev Yantiv, but an unplanned situation prevented you from doing so, or you were simply too busy to do so, you couldn't get the time to cut it, then you can also um, cut them on, on Chalamite. This particular Arav which is Arav Pesach, one must try to cut nails or, here before, or they're here before Chatzais, which is about 1 o'clock. That's a very special halacha to Arav Pesach because after Chatzais and Arav Pesach, it's like a little bit of a Yantav already because they um, started bringing carbon Pesach then, so it has somewhat of a halacha of a Yantav, so you're supposed to try to get that done, cutting nails or here before Chatzais on Arav Pesach, again, which is about 1 o'clock. Mikvah prep is allowed as usual. If someone has a mikvah night, the matzay achrein shal pesach, so in other words, it's after, totally after yantiv. Normally, though, in that situation, you might do your prep on Arab yantiv, but in this case, don't cut nails until matzay yantiv. Truthfully, in that situation, when you have the mikvah matzay yantiv, and there's like two days before uh, the, the matzay yantiv mikvah, it's always better to just leave the full prep to matzay yantiv because, you know, you get dirty yantiv, you get food and, and all kinds of things, so it's better to leave the prep there are many other halachas of Chalamite pertaining to working on Chalamite, writing on Chalamite, shopping on Chalamite, but we don't 
unfortunately have enough time to go all of them, so I wanted to con- concentrate on cutting hair and laundering, and maybe some other day, some other time, we'll be able to go through the other halachas of Chalamite. This week again is Pashas Mitzrayim, and Tzotzah Shabbat Sagal. Pashas Mitzrayim, we know, deals with the halachas of Tzaras, which came as a result of speaking Lashon Hara. It's also Shabbos HaGadol, the Shabbos which prepares us for Pesach. Is there a connection between Lashon Hara and Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim? We're all familiar with the famous Chazal that says that Kalah Yisrael merited being redeemed from Mitzrayim because they, straight, they, they stayed true to their heritage, their identity. They didn't change their names, their clothing, or their language. Right? As we know, Lashinu Eshmam, Lashonam, we explain the line that we say in the Haggadah, They became a nation there that teaches us that they were outstanding, meaning they were different, they were recognizable by their mode of speech, their dress, and their names. However, Chazal, in a few places, write this a little differently. They say Klal Yisrael was redeemed from a tribe actually because of four things. Number one, they didn't intermarry or adulterate. They were Makmin on Gilead Number two, they were careful with Lush and Hara. Number three, they didn't change their names. And number four, they didn't change their language. So in this Chazal, clothing is left out for whatever reason. It mentions they didn't change their names. It mentions they didn't change their language. And then on equal turf, they were Makmin on Gilead They were careful with Sneus. And they didn't speak Lush and Hara. Now, that was a little surprising. Where do Chazal derive that they were careful with Lashon Hara? From the fact that Hashem commanded Moshe Rabbeinu almost a year before Yitzhak Mitzrayim to tell the nation that they will be borrowing clothing and vessels from their Egyptian neighbors without a plan of returning them and thereby leave with, from Mitzrayim with great wealth. So everybody, every Jewish man, woman and child living in Mitzrayim knew of this secret plan a year in advance of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, and not a single one let the secret out to the Mitzrayim. We can imagine they would have been greatly rewarded for spilling the beans. And realize also that a year before Yitzhak Mitzrayim, no Mathis had begun yet. And actually, things got worse because Moshe came, came. But yet, no one snitched. Now this is an amazing insight, and it's an important one. This is a little different than the typical Lashon Hara that we picture, slandering other people behind their backs, gossiping about them for the fun of it. That kind of Lashon Hara is our typical struggle. But the Lashon Hara Chazal are talking about, to us, it sounds downright evil, betraying your own nation for personal gain. But we have no idea of the test that this was. If you think back to the Holocaust, how desperate people were to save themselves, save their children, save their families, get them some food, make life a little easier, more manageable, more livable. And they were presented with a test like this, sell someone else out for better treatment of yourself. It would be hard to blame people in that desperate situation. And unfortunately, we know stories both ways. We know people who are moister nefesh, not to tattle on other people and not to give them away, and, and other people who unfortunately couldn't. And you can't judge, impossible. That test is unimaginable. But Klai Yisrael and Mitzrayim withstood this test to the last man and woman. And this means that their sense of brotherhood and family was powerful. Everybody looked out for each other. 
To sell someone out would have been to sell out a family member. That was the connection they had to each other. That was the achdus. And this was the schus that they merited to be redeemed for. And based on this medrash, I saw a beautiful plot in a Sefer Teres Chaim, which was written by one of the Gedol Hadar of about 300 years ago, whose name was Rabbi Ram Chaim Shor. That's all. He writes that when Hashem took us out of its time early, He was really letting us out with only one-fifth of the decree completed. Four-fifths was, over, was overlooked. How do we reach that number? He says, if you look at the decree of the Brisbane of Assam, when Hashem originally was gazer on us, that we have to go down to Mitzrayim, and the Pasuk describes the, the Jews living in Mitzrayim and leaving Mitzrayim all the way later in Parashas Bay, when Hashem said they will be there for 400 years, it really meant 430 years, which was the length of time from the Brisbane of Assam until you choose Mitzrayim. It was a total of 430 years. And when they left, the Pasuk says, Moshe v'nei Yisrael, Shiyashu v'Mitzrayim, Arba Meisr Shalashim Shana. The 430 years that they were meant to be in Mitzrayim were just completed when Kalei Yisrael left Mitzrayim. But not only were those 430 years meant to be a time span that they lived in Mitzrayim, the 430 years were meant to be the full deal of Enoi, of Kasha. They were meant to, they were decreed to suffer from oppression and torture for a full 430 years. How many years did they actually suffer from difficult and torturous work? Only 86 years. From when Miriam was born? until they left Mitzrayim. Why was Miriam named Miriam? How did you get that name? Miriam was from the, the language of Mar. Mar was difficult. That's when things became really seriously difficult, like Mar. That's Miriam's name means. And it was only 86 years. So that means they actually only suffered for 86 years out of their Golos in Mitzrayim. What's 86 times 5? Exactly 430. They were supposed to have 430 years of suffering. They had only one-fifth of that. 86 years. They left with four-fifths of the decreed suffering unfulfilled and forgiven. Why were they zaycha to be absolved of the four-fifths of the decree? The majority of the 430 years. Why did they get away with only 86? It was because they had these four beautiful qualities. They were tenua, they were pure in their marital relations, they were careful with Lashon they guarded their identity and language and in their names. Each one forgave a fifth, and they left with four-fifths less than was decreed upon them. So he explains beautifully, he says, that's what it means that we have four kaisis, and each one is its own language of gu'ula. He says it makes so much sense. We had four redemptions. Each kais knocked off one-fifth of the time that we were supposed to spend and suffer in Mitzrayim. Hashem redeemed us, each one individually. Why? because we had one of these beautiful qualities. But then he goes on, the Teres Chaim, and this is the part that's really amazing. He says, the decree, it wasn't fully annulled. It was held off. It was forgiven. It was held back in the merit of these qualities and mitzvahs. But once Klaishal became remiss in these mitzvahs, once they started falling, then a gallus was decreed upon them to fill their decree. Each one of the four Goliaths that we have suffered subsequently and continue to suffer after Yitzhak Mitzrayim is because of what we are lacking in those areas. So he explains how each one corresponds to a different one of the Goliaths. 
but I'm sure we have all already guessed that our gullus that we're suffering, suffering from is the result of the weakness in Lashon Hara, which is the result of Sinas Chinam, which destroyed the second base of Mikdash and catapulted us into this gullus. More importantly, if we see how in Mitzrayim the Jews were outstanding in this aspect, they really felt like brothers and sisters. And they wouldn't betray a family member no matter what, no matter what the benefit or what was at stake, no matter how much suffering and pain they were going through. It didn't matter. Family is family. If we could only truly feel like that, Hashem would render this galus unnecessary as well. In other Sfarim, it says that Sipur Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, the Mitzvah Haggadah on the night of Pesach, is what is misaking, it corrects this sin of Lashon Hara. What's the connection? How is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, how is that a tikkun for the Avera of Lashon Hara? So perhaps one aspect is that the connection we should be having, we should be utilizing the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim to learn from it how much Hashem loves every Jew and cares about them. And we should be learning from it how much the Jews cared about each other and looked out for each other. And we should be emphasizing this when we tell the story to ourselves and to our children and to our family. And if we do, and we are mechazek that in you, we're mechazek our achdus, we can achieve true achdus, then we can correct the sin which is causing this galus. And through that, we can be zeichet to truly L'shana haba Yerushalayim. Everybody have a wonderful Shabbos, have a wonderful Yantav, Chakashur Sameach, a wonderful Pesach, and this will be the last year until after Pesach, as is Hashem, last Thursday night, but this Sunday night, again at 8.45, we'll have a conference call from 8.45 to 9.30 about, or 9.25, um, to, uh, for the Shabbos at Adal Drasha. Have a good night.